0: 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I think I'm a
1: Christian, I think I'm a Christian, I go to church most weeks, I believe in Jesus, that he died to pay for my sins, I try to pray, I try to tell my friends about Jesus, I think I'm a Christian. That's what a friend of mine said to me at uni a couple of months ago, we were doing a group assignment together, uh, and she asked me what I'd done on the weekend, so I said what I'd done, and then I said on Sunday night uh, I went to church. And to my surprise, she said, oh, so did I. Uh, And that's when I asked her uh, about a church, and that's when she said that she thought she was a Christian. So I pushed her on this a little bit. Uh, What do you mean by that? Well, I know there's a God, she said. I was brought up in a religious home. And recently, I started going to church, and I heard about the Christian God. I know God's there, but I just don't know if he will save me. I try to pray to God, but I just don't know if He hears me. I think I'm a Christian. Well, I think these feelings uh, resonate may well resonate with a lot of us. Uh, they're certainly very familiar to me. Uh, questions come up like: Am I really saved? Uh, can I be sure that Jesus' sins, uh, Jesus' death, paid for my sins? Are my prayers heard? Do they even make a difference? Do I have the right brand of Christianity? Well, things can seem very uncertain at times, and this can leave us feeling deeply uneasy and confused about our faith. I think that word, uncertain, sums up the Australian religious experience as a whole. We're an agnostic country. When it comes to matters of faith, we we shrug our shoulders. I don't know. I can't be sure, so why bother? Uh, In this uncertain world, it's little wonder that my friend was so uncertain about her faith. And after she said, I think I'm a Christian, uh, I think I said something really helpful like, oh, right. Uh, (laughs) But if I'd had my time again, I wish I said something very different. I wish I'd said, uh, we know, we know, we know, and we know, for we knows. And that's what 1 John five thirteen twenty one 21 says to us uncertain people, for we knows. So what do we know? Well, uh, 1 John 5, 13, we just had it read now, we know that we have eternal life. Verse 14, we know that he hears us. Uh, verse 18, we know we do not continue to sin. And verse 19 and 20, we know that we are united with God. We know we have eternal life. We know that God hears us. We know we don't continue to sin. And we know that we're united with God. So the first thing that I I wish I said to my friend at uni uh, is that Christians know that we have eternal life. Uh, The Apostle John, the author of this letter, is writing to Christians who also are uncertain of their faith. There's false teachers around and uh, in their churches and they're preaching a message about Jesus that's very different to the message that John taught them originally. Uh, These people say they have special knowledge that others aren't privy to. And so in much of this letter, uh, John's reassuring the Christians that he's writing to uh, that the Jesus they first heard about is the real Jesus. And they can be confident of that. Now, in fact, now as we look at this final section of John's letter, uh, we see the very point of the letter. I see it there in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What a breathtaking statement that is. We can know that we have eternal life. This part of the letter is not uh, so much the conclusion as it is the climax of the letter. Here at the very end, John brings together all of his ideas, all of his themes, brings them together and says the very purpose is that Christians may know that they have eternal life. So John's purpose is to assure people of eternal life. But which people is he assuring eternal life to? Uh, Is there anyone that happens to open a Bible to 1 John 5 and read... 13, uh, well, throughout the letter, John gives his readers some tests, uh, some tests to know whether they can have this assurance. So we're going to have a quick look at those tests now. Uh, three tests to know whether the, the Christians, whether these people, have assurance of eternal life. So right back at the start of the letter, chapter 1, verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. So the first test is a test of doctrine. Do you trust in the Jesus that was seen, heard, and proclaimed by the apostles? Then your trust is in eternal life. That's the first test, a test of doctrine. The second test is a moral test. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Do you keep God's commands? Then your trust is in the right place. And the third test of this letter is a social test. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing to make them stumble. Or again, chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Do you love God's people? Then your trust is in the right place. And so we come now to chapter five, thirteen, and John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. John says to people who believe in the Jesus that was preached by the apostles, who love God and keep his commands, and who love God's people, you can be sure that you have eternal life. And that's the point of this letter. Not you can be pretty sure, not you can hedge your bets, not even I think I'm a Christian, but you may know you have eternal life. In fact, this eternal life is so certain that John doesn't say you may know that you will have eternal life. I know it's so certain that you possess it now. You have eternal life. When I was a lot younger, uh, every now and then I was gripped by this fear that Jesus was about to return. I remember one time in particular, I felt so sure it was just about to happen. I was terrified that I wouldn't make it to heaven. I didn't know what to do with this fear. So on that occasion, I tried lots of things to calm my fears. I tried reading big chunks of the Bible. I tried to pray. I tried all sorts, but nothing really seemed to work. Uh, And if I'm honest, I still have similar fears now. But now I know what to do when I have these fears. I can open my Bible, turn to 1 John 5, verse 13, and know that I have eternal life. I can be certain of it. So that's the first thing I wish I said to my friend at uni. 1 John 5 says that we know we have eternal life. Christians have absolute certainty in their future. The second thing I wish I told her is that we know God hears us. That's in the very next verse. So have a look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we asked of him. This is a really bold claim about prayer, isn't it? We can have confidence to pray, confidence that God hears us, uh, and confidence that he answers us. Christians can boldly approach God in prayer. Now, it's important to note the qualification there if you ask anything, according to his will. So prayer is not about me. It's not about me imposing my wishes and my desires on God as though he was some cosmic Santa Claus ready to give me what I want. No, it's about me bending my desires and my will into conformity with God's. And when we pray in this way, when we pray in conformity with God's will, We can be confident that he hears us and that he answers us. In fact, John says, we know we have what we asked of him when we pray in this way. So John shows us how to use this bold approach to prayer uh, in the next two verses, 16 and 17. And he tells us to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in sin. Let's look at verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. So here we can see the pattern of prayer set out in verse 14 and 15 played out in a real-life scenario. Having seen our brother and sister, a brother or sister whose sins, we can boldly come to God and ask, intercede for them, and God will give them life. And we know it's God's will that his people are given life, and so he'll grant it. We can be confident, we can be bold in our approach to God. I wonder if you've ever had that hardship uh, of seeing a brother or sister really struggle with sin. Uh, You can feel helpless and not know what to do often. Well, take heart, because we can pray. God hears your prayers and will give life. A little while back, I was in, in, in this situation. A Christian friend of mine was really struggling with alcohol. He slipped deep into sin uh, and didn't have any control when he was around alcohol. It was really, it was a sad situation. And reading this passage reminded me of that. Uh, this guy had Christian friends who were praying for him. And they saw him sinning and they turned to God. And in this case, God has helped my friend and he's got control over this area of his life. Uh, he's got control over this area in his life at the moment. So when we ask according to God's will, he answers our prayers. Now it is worth delving a little deeper into verse 16 and 17, because uh, a couple of questions come up straight away when we read them, right? There's a bit confusing. There seems to be two types of sin mentioned here. Uh, a sin that does not lead to death And a sin that leads to death. So what are these two types of sin? Well, it doesn't seem to be talking about sin that leads to physical death. Because the contrast is spiritual life. Uh, God gives life to the person that's prayed for. And if they're already physically alive, God can't give them physical life. They already have it. So he must be talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. Uh, So this question remains... What are the sins that do not lead to death? And what are the sins that lead to death? When I read this passage, I thought, I'm sure I've done the sin that leads to death. Well, thankfully, there's a couple of hints that'll point us in the right direction. So firstly, I note that John attributes the sin that does not lead to death to a brother or sister. Read verse 16 again with me. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. So the sin of a Christian here doesn't lead to death. Next, he says, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. So note here, he's not talking about a brother or sister. So there's some distinction here between the sin of a Christian and the sin of someone who is not a Christian. It's also helpful to look elsewhere in 1 John to keep pushing us in the right direction. Chapter 1, verse 7 says this, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. So if Jesus' death purifies Christians from all sin, then repentant sin cannot lead to death. Well, if that's true, then what is the sin that can lead to death? It does lead to death? Well, it must be sin that is not repentant. Those who don't seek forgiveness cannot be forgiven. To put it another way, the sin that leads to death must be habitual, lasting, lifelong unrepentant sin. And I think that makes, makes sense of the context here as well. Uh, remember, there's people spreading uh, false doctrine that not only deny Jesus, they're teaching actively in opposition to Jesus. So John wants us to use our confidence and boldness in prayer to pray for Christian brothers and sisters who are in sin. So the first thing we do when we see that uh, Bob started swearing a bit more is not to talk to other people about it, it's to talk to God about it. We need to turn to prayer for our brothers and sisters. And it's God's will to give life to those who seek forgiveness so we can pray confidently for them. We know that God will give eternal life to them. So that's the second thing I wish I said to my friend. We know that God hears us. We know we have eternal life. We know God hears us. And thirdly, we know we have deliverance from sin. We know we have deliverance from sin look at verse 18 chapter 5 verse 18 we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin the one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them well if there are some big claims earlier in the passage I think this is the biggest of the lot anyone born of God does not continue to sin Does that mean if I'm sinning, I'm not a child of God? I thought this passage was about assurance. Well, I think what John is saying here is not that you can be sinless, but that you can sin less. Not that you can be sinless, but that you can sin less. Or to put it another way, it's not about sinless perfection, it's about life direction. Not sinless perfection, life direction. John can't be saying that Christians will eventually cease to sin in this life. He can't be saying that. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's either forgotten what he wrote uh, four chapters ago, or he's not saying that we can be perfect. For what I worth, I think it's the latter. I think he's saying... Christians will not continue to sin as they did before they knew Jesus. So back verse 18 again. We know anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. So because we're born of God, Jesus keeps us safe. Sin and death cannot harm us because we have eternal life. Our sin doesn't result in death. Christians are protected from the power of sin and death by Jesus, the one who was born of God. And our freedom from sin helps us to move towards godliness. That's why John can say anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Sin cannot overpower us because Jesus has defeated sin. We can keep God's commands... Because Jesus keeps us, so uh, don't give up on that sin that seems hard to battle. Keep going. If you know you've been saved from the penalty, then we can know we are being saved from the power of sin. So keep fighting. Uh, keep hacking away at that gossip issue. Well, that hunger to say more, uh, to say that you want. Uh, that, sorry, that hunger for more money then you need work hard at saying no to that third drink that you really don't need we can keep putting sin to death daily because we know we've been delivered from sin we've been delivered from sin so live like it so we know we have eternal life we know god hears us and we know that we have deliverance from sin and finally we know that we are united with god We know we are united with God. That's in verses 19 and 20. Uh, There's two different we know statements there. Both of them tell the reader that Christians are united with God. The first statement tells us we are united as family. We're children of God. We can look to God our Father as little children look to their dads for assurance. So as children of God, we have the assurance of being part of his family and not being under the control of the evil one. It's there in verse 19. We know that we that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So many people here in Perth are going to wake up tomorrow morning. They're going to go out into their workplaces, to their universities and schools that are under the control of the evil one. But not us. Uh, Christians go out into the world as children of God who protects us from the evil one and assures us that we have eternal life. Uh, The second we know statement here tells us that we're united with God because we are in Christ. That one's in verse 20. We know also that the Son of God uh, has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the world may be under the control of sin and Satan, but we are in Christ. Jesus has come into the world so that we may know him. And if we know him, if we trust in him, we are in him. And because we're in the son, we're in the father. We know that we are united with God. For we know statements. And so John comes to the end of the letter. And we've got this final verse, verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a bit of a strange end to a letter. There's no benediction as others do, no greetings. Just keep yourselves from idols. It seems a little bit out of place. But what, I, what he's saying, I think, is consistent with the message of his letter and, and it's consistent with this passage too. John has written the letter to assure Christians that their faith is in the real Jesus. Now, there's no need to listen to anyone else. False teachers who talk of new or better revelation and spirituality. No, they've got it all in the Jesus that they already know. Christians can have great assurance. We know we have eternal life. We know God hears us. We know we do not continue to sin. And we know that we're united with God. But there's no room for complacency in our confidence. No, dear children, says John, keep yourselves from idols. That is, stay away from anything. That's not the true Jesus. Steer clear of anything that isn't the Jesus who gives great assurance. Others, other things may give short-term satisfaction or short-term solutions, but they will not work. Yes, we have absolute confidence and assurance as Christians. Jesus keeps us, verse 18, but that doesn't mean that we don't keep ourselves. Keep yourselves from idols. So he's saying that the danger may be uh, for us that know God, the God who gives assurance, that we find ourselves drifting toward idols. I'm studying teaching uh, and tomorrow is the first day of my final prac. Over the last few weeks I've been getting uh, a bit more nervous and it's been increasing because I feel like I should be doing more work. I should be doing better work. I should be better organised. But I've realised recently my nerves weren't about working hard for God. I've been seeking assurance in my own abilities. I've been seeking assurance in my final grade, ensuring up my job prospects for next year. And idols such as these are a real temptation for us. So we must be aware and we must keep ourselves from them. Well, there are three people doing this group assignment that I talked about earlier. Uh, the other guy in the, in the group heard us talking about church and he got involved in the conversation. And he said something along the lines of, I think Jesus was a great teacher a really wise man. He sets a great moral example for us to follow. I believe he was real. I believe he died. But uh, all that extra stuff, miracles, uh, rising from the dead, how can we really know? Jesus is a good moral guide, but he's not much more than that. And that's a very popular notion, I think. In fact, uh, there's people who claim to be Christians who believe those types of things. But John says to us, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. We can put many things in the place of the true Jesus. A security in our grades or our performance or a sentimental Jesus with no real power. But these are false doctrines. They don't give assurance. They don't give assurance like Jesus does. They're idols and we must keep ourselves from such things. So if I had my time again with my friend at uni, I would have said something different. I would have said something along the lines of this. I know how you feel. But can I encourage you to read one, John? There you see that because of Jesus, we can know that we have eternal life. We know that God hears us. We know we have deliverance from sin. And we know that we are united with God. There's no use looking anywhere else for assurance.